This is a Hive Mind Studio production. Hello, gods and goblins, deities and deviants, and my fellow what the fucks. You're listening to Playing with Advantage, the informative podcast about the various aspects of the tabletop role playing genre. I, as always, am Kenneth Moffat, aka the Southern GM. And with me today, we have the man, the myth, the legend, James Bodwell. Oh, that's me. And the fluffy darkness from beyond the veil, Mr. Brody Elder Vengeous. Once again, I will destroy all that you love. And once again, Brody, I love only you. Got him. <laughs> and folks, we want to issue a warm and just exciting Playing With Advantage welcome to our newest member and the fourth member of our of our adventuring party. We have our druid. I give you the great Night Rain. Oh, hi. <laughs> Welcome. So excited to have you on the podcast. Cannot wait because your your entire resume is just, it's humbling, you know, from the player to the dungeon master, to the cosplays, to the art, just there is so much. Uh, so if folks want to learn more about you, Night Rain, where can they, where can they uh, find you? Like, what are your social uh, your social platforms. Well, I have the Instagram, the Twitter that I'm sometimes on. That's pretty much it. So you can find it at Night Rain. It's N Y G H T R A Y N E. You have to be a little bit different because other people <laughs> say the same names. <laughs> that's that's. I, I have noticed that myself. There's a lot of different you know names because. Uh, actually, speaking about names, kind of interesting because of our, our topic today is. Uh, we have mentioned earlier about world building, uh, the various aspects you add into the world, if maybe for a module or one you're actually making yourself. Today, we're going to be discussing homebrewing. And homebrewing is more than just, you know, making a world, making NPCs. Like, you can homebrew rules and subclasses and find ways to add your own flair into the various aspects of tabletop games. Uh now I know for a fact that between the four of us, we we do some really weird things when it comes to the rules of D and D because they're not perfect, and a lot of them are more. You have to change them to fit your play style and your play groups. Yeah. Uh, so what what do you guys think? Like how on a scale of like say one being directly rules as written to ten being complete and utter chaos, what is your your homebrewing when it comes to the rules of the game? Uh, like I I'm probably the least. Uh, capable in the room of like memorizing rules and stuff. I just have poor retention. Uh, so for me, I'm probably a seven easy, maybe an eight. We're in there. Uh, I'm probably about a six, um, close to five because I like balance or try to maintain balance. Uh, but occasionally I'll lean closer to like an eight. <laughs> Some things need to be broken if they're unbalanced. That's fair. That's true. I, I rough around about a seven-ish. And if I don't know something, I'll look over to Ducky because he hyper fixates on stuff. So I just like, hey, what's this? That man's got good <laughs> retention. He does. Uh, I, I sit between a comfortable five to six. Like, there are some things I, I like to keep to the rules. But then the rest, you know, about it's probably more like a... Uh, 60% rules, 40% what we know as the rule of cool type thing. Yeah. But right, there are some times, uh, as, uh, as Brody was saying, there are some times where if something is unbalanced, you may just need to go ahead and break it. Uh, I guess it depends on what kind of game you're playing. 
That's that's fair. Like in a, in a one shot, I am much more lenient than I am like oh, say yeah. a, a long term homebrew campaign where I'm trying to keep the story going for you know more than just two or three sessions. Uh, in like in in a one shot, all bets are off. If you want to play your self insert OC character and their homebrewed subclass that summons spectral swords that deal one d eight damage plus your charisma at level three, go for it. That was really specific. I that may have, is. yeah. I'm. Uh, <laughs> that's a horror story. We won't get. We've already had that episode. I'm but sure it we'll sounds come back around. Cool. To- <laughs> yeah, it definitely sounds cool. But most broken things do. Yeah, it was like this weird Naruto. Anyway, we're not getting into that. No, we're, we're moving on. We're moving on. Uh, I have to start having flashbacks there. So, uh, homebrew. What are some home? What are some of your homebrew rules that you like to implement in games that you've kind of figured out over the years? That hey, while the actual rule is not as good. Here's a way we can switch it to make the game more fun, more immersive, or in some cases, just more balanced. Probably my favorite homebrew thing I've done. Uh, I had a group, and I really wanted them to function well together, like kind of not the lone wolf thing. The We, we were a unit. We functioned good as a unit. Yeah. And I gave them what was called bonded perks every couple of levels. And the first one was like they could communicate telepathically if they were within so many feet from each other. In this particular game, we didn't have the optional flanking rule that gives you advantage. So one of the rule, one of the the perks that they got, the homebrew thing, was if one of them was within five feet of another, they got advantage. Yeah. Um, I think they had one to where their AC uh, went up by one for every p- one party member that was in five feet of them. Oh wow! So like you can only get like a, a plus four out of that, but that's still a huge bump. And it's just kind of the idea of they're watching each other's back. And I ran them for like a year, um, adding these little perks to help them learn to fight as a unit. And then at the end of the year, I use it all against them because they had gotten <laughs> so used to fighting as a unit. I, I would like use AOEs and stuff and like just catch them all and everything. Oh, yeah, ne- never, folks, never cluster up. That That's the, I mean, you don't, don't split the party, but like don't move as a single group because uh, fireball spells. I mean, it, it was maybe a little evil, evil of me because I did spend literally like a year trying to convince them, hey, fight together, function as a team, be close. And then I turned it against them. Very <laughs> like Greek and Spartan hoplite-esque of you. You know, you move as one, as one. Yep. And then I kill you as one. <laughs> yep. It was great. I loved it. Now, as someone who has set in and is currently sitting in on one of our dear uh, friend Brody's games, I know for a fact there's a lot of homebrewing that you do for your world. Uh, about 90% of it is all homebrew. <laughs> uh, he says with an exhausted, tired look on his face. That, yeah, because I, <laughs> I currently am playing one of his homebrewed races, the uh, the Aesir, and it's really fun. I enjoy it, especially the ability that I have where I can turn the damage of a spell into radiant damage. Uh, so, and a lot of them, like my higher powered spells deal psychic damage. And Brody thankfully informed us that a lot of his stuff is immune to psychic damage. So now specifically Eldritch things, Eldritch things. Uh, so now you get slammed with a radiant lance instead of a psychic lance. Uh, I am not a fan of running things as is like if a module, I've almost exclusively never run anything module wise straight as it's presented from uh any official source i prefer to do things my own way and you know that's fine like there's a lot of people that do that there's a lot of people that just play as is too and that's perfectly fine as well but i prefer to put my own stamp on everything that's just the way i do things that's kind of how i started the playing D &D in general 
Now, other games, it's less so. Like the Alien, I, I've done no, like no homebrewing. It's all been stuff that's been in the, uh, in the books, and I've just like wrote my own story. But mechanics wise, nothing has changed there. But for D and D. I'll just make everything. I think a lot of that comes down into the the aliens game is played in a very specific way. It's if about it, meeting the expectation. It's, it's about meeting the expectation. Yeah. There is yeah. a very certain style. Whereas in games like, you know, Pathfinder, D and D and GURPS, the more fantasy esque games where there is more than just uh the more than just a simple, you know, familiar aliens formula, if you will. Yeah. It it takes more to to bring us to certain expectations. People often think outside of the box in weird ways that the system cannot uh, is not prepared for, cannot uh, kind of preemptively uh, get ready for. And you, the dungeon master, have to like homebrew something to kind of add. And I can tell you how many times, like they're on the fly, when my players want to go, uh, I want to use my bonus action to leap up and try to get an advantage and do something. I'm suddenly going, okay, man, it's possible. So how do I do this? Yeah, and you kind of have to quickly mold something together. Whereas in the aliens one, it's kind of if you go a it's almost like it punishes you from, you know, veering off the given path, which is very much alien-esque. I mean, the whole, <laughs> I'm going to go down this dark corridor. I just, I think by design, like the alien game just offers less deviation in its uh, infrastructure than, say, RPGs like Dungeons and Dragons yeah. do. Um, the alien game, like it's not on the rails per se, uh, but you're usually in a pretty closed system as far as your environment. Um, you know, and the idea is almost always to get away. Whereas in RPGs like Dungeons and Dragons, it's a lot more open. Yeah. And the path is yours to play with there. I think that comes down to sandbox versus non sandbox yeah. style yes. setting. Yeah, it very much does. Uh, I personally enjoy both. I mean, oh, well, yeah. Yeah, they're both a lot of fun. There's a ton of systems that do that and do that really well, or vice versa. Some may not do it as well. Or, uh, I guess the best way to say that would be they don't present a way to do that well. Yeah. So that kind of feels like this is a rail. You kind yeah. of have to stick on the path. Like did, RPGs like D&D, they kind of, the for the game master, you have to have this idling level of improv yeah. as, as a base, right? Because it doesn't matter what you write. You know, there's there's... Very, very many branching paths, and you just got to be ready for it. Sometimes somebody's going to take some chains, wrap it around a carriage where the big bat is sitting in, and proceed to place, you know, Lulu skipped my Lou with it. The, the GM gave me a belt of giant strength. I mean, that I feel like they were asking for that. I can Sorry, definitely Jeff. confirm on that because my character was in that carriage. Oh, yeah, that's right. You were in the carriage that I beat the bad guy with. Yes. Sorry about that. That's fine. <laughs> so, okay. Ryan, do you? Uh, what about you? When it comes to like, what is your level for homebrewing versus uh, versus rules as written in the base base system? I don't. Know, as long as everyone's having fun, really, I really don't care. I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. Is like initially, uh, what is what is the what is the collective fun? Yeah, and mm-hmm. that you do take that into because it's not just well, um, is this one player having fun? It has to be kind of a a collective collective fun. Yeah. So I would have to say it'd be terrifying if Brody actually did some homebrew stuff with that Aliens game. <laughs> yeah, didn't you actually homebrew an alien system that you said was v- remarkably similar to what they came out with? Before Free League had their official version, I, I, I made one from scratch, from ground up. I'll be honest. The, the concept of, of creating your own system scares me to death. 
Look, I, I played in the system that he made a couple of times before uh, Free League had their system come out. And then I played in a game when the system officially came out. And it was shocking to me how similar the two systems were. I had to go back and ask Brody. I was like, did this exist before? Or did you just like make what you did from scratch? And he, like he did, he made that from scratch. Um, there's, there's even a legend about how he burnt up a computer doing so. <laughs> I've heard of that legend. Yeah. <laughs> so, so let's, that's a story for another time. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about specific rules. Like one that I, I have implemented and one that like 99% of dungeon masters of game masters have implemented is the, uh, Rules when it comes to drinking a potion. Uh, because my whole thing is to drink a potion costs you a, my rule is a bonus action. Uh, the whole thing being one, because in D&D, most potions are one ounce. You can't tell me that it takes six seconds to drink an ounce of liquid. And I know there's the whole big thing about, you know, well, no, it's an action to drink a potion. And there's a lot of really cool, interesting homebrew around that. I like the, the more notable one is that, if it if you just take a bonus action, you have to roll for it. If you take the action to drink the potion, you heal for the full health potion amount, which is kind of a cool thing. I, I like the variance there, and I think that gives you a reason to draw that out. But for me, like potions are a bonus action. Yeah. Whether you're drinking them yourself, I don't even care if you're feeding them to somebody else. I don't want to slow the game down. Um, and I like to see things move forward. And I think by relegating that to a bonus action, you open it up for things to move more smoothly. However, I'm probably going to steal the thing where if you spend the whole action doing it, you get that's, a full heal. That's I probably like what that a lot. I like that. I, I do have feeding somebody a health potion as an action because you have to like to hold them up, take the bottle out. Yeah, kind I get of a, it. Yeah. That makes sense. But I do like the myself, if you take the action, you should. there should be a reward there. You're giving up your, your entire economy just to drink a potion. Yeah. You want to make sure I'm not spending a single drop of it. You know, you should get the full effect. I, I kind of like that. I idea. know a lot of people really lean into the, well, this needs to make sense and be realistic and everything, but you're in a fantasy world. For Angie. me, I don't need things to make as much sense. I just need them not to be absurd. Yeah. So for me, that line of homebrewing kind of stops just short of the absurd. Yes. I don't mind things that make the players feel like their characters are cool. I don't mind things that, streamline combat or the more technical side of it because everybody knows that's that's not my my sweet spot i'm yeah. not the technical guy um so for me as long as it doesn't order on absurd i love the kind of homebrew things that are like creature comforts yeah the as far as the the potion thing goes like drinking it as a bonus action i view that more as a house rule than homebrew like this like every, every table has their own set of rules like I don't use flanking. Like, that's just a, a house roll. I was so upset. The first <laughs> oh, game no. we played with him. Rogues must hate you. I, look, I got into this game, <laughs> like, having always used the flanking rule. I didn't know it was optional until I played with Brody, honestly. And we get ready for this fight, and, like, all right, I'm flanking, so I have advantage. And Brody's like, no, no, we don't do that. What? what, do you, because what this, have you What? Have you played DD? <laughs> I don't understand. Do you know that that? And he's like, no, that's an optional rule. And I feel like, you know, and he had, what, what's your reasoning on that? Why do you not use the flanking rule? Uh, because the way 5e specifically is set up, there's so many other ways that advantage could be grant, granted without constantly relying on flanking. It's it, super easy for rogues to get advantage that way. So after I started playing that with him, and I was very upset when I found it out, but then um, it did 
open us up so much to thinking outside of the box in combat. Yeah. You know, we didn't just rely on, okay, I'm this side, you're that side, we advantage, hit, hit, hit. Right. Um, I think maybe he might have regretted it a little later on because we started <laughs> really thinking outside the box. But uh it did help us and and now I just got through running a year long campaign with no flanking rule. So cool. It's fun. I think it's been such a universal house rule that everyone's so used to the flanking thing and with most of the health potions that people just go in automatically. Mm-hmm. I know I did yeah. that a couple of times with, I think, our Jeff, with Jeff. Yeah. Before even as a DM going, hey, this, this stuff is here. You guys can utilize it, but forget to say that in zero session, which I've yeah. done with combat with you guys before because I was like, oh, shoot, I forgot this. I made when I started this event the the year long session we just finished um I did go over it in zero session because I know that's an expectation everyone has and I told them said look we have kind of a house rule thing that's going to help you guys with this we just got to get you a couple of levels you know but we're not doing the flanking advantage thing and they were all from all <laughs> over the room you know but then after after they got the little perk that let them get advantage they started reminding each other and they would get excited and stuff so it worked out. It's one of those where at what you think at first is going to be a hindrance to your, to the, uh, from the player's perspective, a hindrance to you and what you're doing. Actually, it's nothing at all. Like it's not even a a stumbling stone. You just, you flow right into it. Uh, like one that I use a lot is, uh, I've done differently is points of inspiration. I come mainly from the GURPS. The GURPS was my first big system and you reward players with character points, Mm -hmm. which lets them upgrade their character eventually. Well, D and D is a uh, is not a point by it's not a, a continual point by system. It's a leveled system through normally experience. But I think most DMs now have gone to the milestone because it makes it makes for an easier story. It makes for an easier leveling system. I love milestone leveling. So what I do is I give out rewards and points of inspiration, but I work mine differently. I believe uh, point of inspiration is just you. It's you you roll as you spin it before you make the roll. And then you have to, you take the hot, basically it gives you kind of an advantage or something. I think it was the actual ruling of it. Tell you how long it's been. So I've actually used actual, uh, point of how inspiration works myself. What I do is, uh, I let my players use it after the fact where, you know, Hey, Oh, I rolled a natural one. I'm using the point of inspiration to reroll that, which that's more in line with how lucky the feet lucky works, yeah. which is a bane to many, many dungeon masters. Yeah. Uh, well, I had to homebrew how the feat Lucky worked, and now my homebrew for Lucky is you pass. You use your Lucky point, you pass the save. You, whatever the roll is is required. It's neither critical uh, failure or success, but it's essentially like a, a minor legendary resistance. I, you know, uh, but you. the thing is you have to, the, well, I, I rolled a nat one, tell you what, and someone used Lucky, and I just make the save. Okay, cool. Yeah. I've never really had a problem with Lucky. I know it aggravates the heck out of a lot of people, but I mean, it's just, it, it's, it is what it is. You know, if you're going to do, if you're going to get rid of Lucky, get rid of Silvery Barbs. <laughs> and I love Silvery Barbs. But we literally screamed from the other room for you to do Silvery Barbs when you walked out. I know. I was coming, I was coming back from the restroom one time <laughs> and I remember the game was going on the other side yeah. of the building and I hear them screaming and I just yell out Silvery Barbs. Um, and it was it was an appropriate time for silvery barbs, so that's great. So I know a lot of DMs will also, in that same kind of like banning for homebrew, uh, will also like ban counterspell as well in the line of silvery barbs and stuff. Well, that's a little bit too far. Counterspell is perfectly fine. 
Now, so there's two things barbs. that should not exist in D&D, and it's Lucky and Silvery Barbs. <laughs> I will die on this hill. These opinions are not reflective of the Playing With Advantage podcast, but of the individual nan- known as Elder Fenris. Well, I banned Lucky in my game, so. I don't have a problem with it. Yeah. I, I, I rarely, like, a lot of my stuff that I have quote-unquote bans is just tabaxis and feats. I have unbanned, but I've limited, like. Most most dungeon masters will ban uh the sentinel feet and the uh well it's sentinel and I think uh polearm master because sentinel is a feat that lets you say if you make an attack of opportunity against somebody you reduce their speed to zero yeah well I'm called out uh <laughs> uh polearm master uh it, it it gives you it extends your your reach for your your polearms. And essentially what they do is because of how pole arms work, pole arm master works is when they move within 10 feet of you, you can make an attack of opportunity because they're entering your, your threat range. That means cool. Uh, attack of opportunity, sentinel feet, zero movement. Now I'm going to back up more and you just basically keep poking them yeah. over and over again, keeping them at, at arm's length. And you know, most dungeon masters are like, no, no, that, that, no, that's. See, I feel like that's an example of something that in real life, would kind of function that way. Yeah. That just wrecks a game. Right. I mean, yeah. and I, I don't like that. Like for me, I don't ban a whole lot of stuff. However, <laughs> um, I will say that I get really, really upset, uh, when somebody tries to do one of the, the class character builds that just kind of games the system and wrecks the game, like coffee lock or what's the, the, like the, the rocket, movement thing. oh the the rocket power tabaxis yeah like all that kind of stuff i was like well let's let's have fun don't oh the tabaxi monks with all the extra speed boosts yeah the fact that yeah. they can break the sound barrier apparently you know, the, the look brody have you never heard of this brody no. i literally oh, did the math stupid. equation for it too it's and it, it's i would just be like all right stop stop right there don't even no. finish the math equation no yeah I, and I, I do kind of try to go over that in zero session um you know, don't don't build some broken thing that you saw on the internet that will let your character be godlike. That's not what we're doing here. Like I in my pocket, I have a build for a it is a three class multi class that lets me attack seventeen times in the first turn. That, that's it's it's uh, it's <laughs> oh, a, that's it's samurai, it's uh, warlock, fighter, and then you take a class and uh, a paladin to add a little bit of expert. Yeah, it's essentially you're casting. Uh, Eldritch Blast nine, uh, nine plus eight, so seventeen times in the first turn. There's a there's a fighter variant of that in five e with the samurai subclass that lets you get like seventeen or so attacks. Yeah, I don't know how they do it, but that, it's just like that's way too much. That yeah. aggravates me so much because it violates the spirit of the game. Yes, that mm. turns the game into from the GM perspective. Now I have to figure out how to produce a balanced encounter that takes into account that this one guy can make 17 attacks or move like 5,000 feet and around or something like that, along with all of these other players who built a character in good faith to have fun and watch grow. And that's disrespectful to me, and I'll, I get upset about that. I really do. That word you said right there, balance, that that should be the main thing for homebrewing. Because like I've set in games where it, it was somebody, and look, I we all love anime. There are some amazing oh, shows yeah. out there. Uh, but you get that one dungeon master who has just finished watching, you know, Naruto or, or Inuyasha or something like that. And, and then, (laughs) 
and then suddenly you you know you're you're you have Tetsaiga in your game or don't uh, look at me don't call me out <laughs> like that <laughs> but you get these overpowerful things that are because the way the anime works is you have usually a singular protagonist who is meant to overcome something by essentially becoming more powerful than it the the, yeah. the Dragon Ball Z aspect of the louder I yell the more powerful I become kind of yeah. thing whereas in do you know how you counter that please go ahead Play test, play test, play test. Yes. I was, I was that's how you balance spell, your, okay. your homebrew is yes. you you tweak, you adjust your dials. This is this is some advice that I would give everybody. The easiest way to balance homebrew, like mechanics, like spells or weapon or class abilities, especially class abilities, yes. is turn the dial up to the max and then turn back as needed. It is so much easier to adjust that way as opposed to starting off low and then trying to dial up because if you try to dial up you either go too extreme or it's not powerful enough and then people don't want to play it well right now i'm working on a, a fighter subclass i call it the i call it the tactician where it's a wisdom-based fighter and his whole thing is he uses his combat and battle knowledge to help his allies move into positions that both better him and themselves and like I, I have all this stuff written and printed out. And what I did is I brought it to an individual who I respected their, uh, their ideas and such. And my other, I basically brought it to my friends, you know, the people here at the hive said, Hey guys, what do y'all think? Uh, you know, there was some great, great, uh, feedback was given. Like one of the abilities he has is called dog pile where if he makes a success, if the fighter makes a successful attack, any, any ally that is threatening it, be it melee or ranged can make an attack. Now, originally I had that as a reaction, but that means if this guy keeps like multi-attacking and hitting this thing over and over again, then all of my allies just suddenly, you know, throwing more and more attacks at it. Well, uh, night rain and ducky said this should be, this should cause their reaction. It's still powerful, but you're not sitting there and, you know, basically artillery striking this thing in a single round. Uh, actually, because he is currently, you know, sitting behind the desk. Uh, your homebrew rate, homebrew uh, subclass for uh, our tech goblins character in Stagande. How'd that come about? The Blood Knight? Yeah, the Blood Knight. Uh, I think blood magic is cool, and that's what I wanted. I wanted a class that was based on that. And that should be the basis of everything homebrewed. That's I thought it was fair. cool. It, yeah, you're right, though. One of my greatest joys is making something that I've spent a lot of time thinking about and then trying to figure out the mechanics of and see whether or not is this going to work and then presenting that to the player and watching them read it and go oh, and get that look on their face because they're like, this is so cool. But again, you mentioned that you, like you said, you sit, you dial it in, you, you don't just put it out there and go, it's good as it is. I'm going to let people, somebody use it. Oh no. It's 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 gonna go through rigorous yes. uh, trials because again you have to yeah there are certain things in D anD D that are just broken. Uh, I'll admit paladins are probably the most broken class in five e as they sit. No matter how much shade I throw at warlocks, uh, and I love playing paladins, but you have to take into account how is this subclass going to work uh, with you know within the the bound within the bounds and parameters of the system itself. I feel like every class should be balanced and at the same time 
with the with the correct roll of your dice, you should feel broken occasionally. Yes. And I think that that's the hard thing to do because people get a bro- get addicted to that broken feeling when they hit that dice roll that's just off the charts and they do this amazing thing in game. You you get those endorphins, you yeah. know, from the the badassery, right? And then when you go to homebrew something, you want to try to produce that more often. And the truth of the matter is, is like those moments are special because it's a special moment. It oh, yeah. doesn't happen all the time, right? So you need to keep in mind that when you're homebrewing, there should be a range. Uh, you've got your baseline, which should be balanced and capable. And then you have the top end of that scale, which is where you get these dice rolls and it, it makes scenes. Yeah. And you get to feel great. Um, but don't get addicted to that feeling. Just homebrew stuff that constantly does that because then you're going to wear it out and you can't get that back. Do y'all have any homebrew horror stories, so to speak? Maybe some, an item you you made or yes. you were playing a game you played? That <laughs> yes, was I fast. Do. Yes. Uh, well, it got brought to my attention yesterday um, by a, a very good friend of mine who still glares at me when this gets brought up. We were in a game, uh, and I had, this was probably one of the games where I had let power creep get a little out of hand, yeah. uh, uh, and we played it for, this is one of the, the things we did for a year straight, that was the length of the campaign, and uh, one of my friends was playing a monk, and, you know, the thing about monks is speed, like, they yeah. have great, uh, great control of the battlefield, right? And I'm trying to figure out how to put this protagonist together that can kind of address the whole party, and in doing so... I gave this thing speed that moved it past the monk's mobility. Okay. Um, and it kind of put him at such a disadvantage because he really, he really did what he was supposed to with his monk and he controlled that battlefield yeah. with his speed. You know, his, his movement abilities, he really took advantage of. And that, that's a lot of the flavor for the monk. And I kind of took that away from him when I was homebrewing this monster. And like, I can't remember the last time I ran a stock monster. I just don't do it. I yeah. tweak I tweak everything at least a little bit. I don't do it straight out of the manual. If you do, that is fantastic. It's just fun for me when the players don't sit down and meta, they know exactly what this monster does. Well, I've homebrewed just so just off the top of my head, I have homebrewed just straight. So now I'll find like some miniature that fits it, but the the stats and the names and all that, those just come straight from my weird twisted mind. But the me doing that with the mobility um took something away from the monk and from that player and from that character that they needed from the game. Yeah. So the horror story was me in this one. Uh, and we addressed it and we talked about it. And I've been mindful of that ever since. And, and you're going to make mistakes, especially especially if you're passionate enough that you are going through and putting these things together custom yes. for your people. So if you have that passion, you're, you're going to step on a snake every now and then. And when you get bit, treat it. Try not to make that mistake again. Yeah, you, you learn from your mistake. Uh, I don't believe that practice makes perfect. I believe practice makes you better. Very true. Uh, go back a few episodes and hear the Moonlight Greatsword story. <laughs> God, I was trying so hard not to say Moonlight Greatsword a while ago. Uh, so I, I will admit, I because I know in, in D&D you have like, you know, Moonlight, like basically the, the moon-blessed weapons. Specifically, what is the Moonlight Greatsword? The Moonlight Greatsword is a weapon from the Souls games, or Soulsborne, however you want to say, Dark Souls, Bloodborne. Uh, it pops up in there in some form or fashion. It is a very powerful weapon. I've never played any of the Dark Souls or Souls games. It gives off Moonlight, and it's it's pretty OP if you you spec your build 
into that and just kind of lean into the Moonlight Greatsword's abilities. Yeah. So uh, I gave my players one of that, one of those weapons, <laughs> and it he he almost soloed a adult white dragon by oh, himself. Wow. <laughs> when he handed this weapon to Casey, I was in that game. And Casey looks at it, and I saw his eyes bulge. <laughs> and then he, like, points the paper back at Brody, and he's like, this is too powerful. You can't let me have this. And Brody's like, no, 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 it's fine. If it's too strong, we'll tone it down. Two sessions later, it's- I believe you broke it. Oh, no. The Moonlight <laughs> Greatsword was been shattered. <laughs> oh, no. How did that happen? That's, this is an instance of uh, the dials returned too high. And- yeah. There's no turning them back. Oh, no. I thought it was hilarious because we were like, oh, no, I'm sorry, Casey, your sword. Casey's like, no, 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 I shouldn't have had that. This should have happened, yeah. <laughs> what about you, Night Rain? Any, uh, any homebrew horror stories that you have? Oh, Lord. It's actually one of the items that you guys are getting in the Lunaris campaign. Bum, bum, bum. However, I fixed it. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> but I can tell you the, uh, the pre-existing item that it was, it... Mm, that druid got really too powerful. I'll just say that. Fair, fair enough. Uh, you want me we, to tell you the oddly, oddly the most like broken <laughs> item I think we have ever abused the hell out of? Mostly it was just used to make chocolate milk. That's fair. <laughs> um, That's fair, the endless decanter. Yeah, anything we poured in it became the best version of it, and it was endless. Yeah, that was so, Jeff's game, too. First thing we did was healing potions, yeah. and like, once we realized, you know, okay, well, we don't have to buy healing potions ever again. Uh, we got to a point where we were like, hey, I believe it was you, Moffat. Already, yeah. Let's put chocolate milk in this. <laughs> <laughs> and then we basically just started bribing every primitive civilization we ran into with chocolate milk. And if cho- the chocolate oh, milk yeah. didn't work, uh, I would heat it up and put marshmallows in it. Yep. <laughs> and that's how we got Nugget or Cobalt. <laughs> yep. uh, mine, mine was one that uh, this was like one of my first sessions. I was still learning. Uh, it was called Targo's Ever-Changing Fork. It, the, the actual uh, concept of it is an old item from Pathfinder called the Pitchfork of Chaos. Mm-hmm. Uh, but essentially, I reworked it to where whenever he would uh, roll a critical success on an attack, a random effect would happen. Because I have this D10,000 chart that I love rolling on. Uh, well, some of the things are like the nearest river is damned, D-A-M-M-E-D. Right next to it is the nearest river is damned, D-A-M-N-E-D. <laughs> Although, but the thing is, up until that time, I'd never went and read all the 10,000 things. Like on a, if you roll a D-10,000, if you roll a 10,000, it says the stars align. Treat this as a uncalled divine intervention, your choice. Really cool. One of the abilities also says... The next thing that dies within 10 feet of you ascends to godhood. Oh. Yeah, that 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 thing got broke. I that's the thing. That that was during the time where I was having so much fun that I just gave my players everything. Like I gave them a a bow that could basically do a called shot to the eye and deal max triple damage. Oh god. And it was yeah, I I have since learned. I've since uh, toned down, but a lot of that is that it I had to you have to go through that trial to understand it. Uh, I, I know in, in the game that uh, Jeff ran for us, uh, the original campaign that all, all of us were in together, uh, he did a really good job like passing out magic items and the game not getting unbalanced. Yeah. I was surprised at that because I've always been kind of dingy on the magic items because I've noticed that if you 
give too much too fast, the game gets unbalanced. Yes, and, that's... and it accelerates and it, it brings you to the close of the campaign a lot faster. Yeah. You did a really good job with that. And I'm not, I still am not really sure exactly how, but we got good, cool magic stuff and it didn't break the game. Like, I'll be honest, when I first heard like what your, uh, was it your, your gloves, the, 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 the thing the beholder gave, or you got from the beholder. Yeah. When I heard those, I'm like, that's broken. This is going to, but it didn't. It wasn't. No, and it I wasn't think, broken. I think a lot of that also is because one, we didn't want to break the game. We were enjoying we the yeah. story. Uh, we were loving what was going on. We didn't want the game. Like, you know, we didn't want to just like break the game for no reason. Uh, I think a lot of issues with, you know, like homebrewed rules comes from players who sit down and go, eh, eh, watch this. I'm going to ruin his game. Yeah. Uh, for those. And then we took that guy out back behind the store. Um, um, and we, we sent him on his merry way and nothing bad happened, James. Yeah. Yeah. Because I turned the cameras off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so let's kind of, <laughs> a little bit of a tangent there. Uh, well, what are some of your homebrewed rules? Like, what are some rules that uh, specifically that you have? Because we mentioned the, uh, like the the uh, the bonus action for health potions, the the lucky thing that I do. What are your some homebrewed rules specifically that you have? Uh, I don't, I don't really have a list of homebrewed things I do. For me, um, I, I cater every game that I do to the players and the characters they want to play. So the rules change for me in accordance to what the players are looking for. Um, I very much see GMing as, um, as a, a kind of noble profession. If I sit down with a group, my job is to make sure that these people, one, have fun, and two, hopefully grow closer as like a party and a players, yeah. you know? So for me, I don't have, this is, this is my preference. This is what we do. Um, I kind of go over a little bit in zero session to see what they're looking for. Okay. And then I'll edit you know, some things I kind of homebrew from the zero session. Um, and a lot of times that turns into things like this is how we handle healing potions. You know, this is how we handle flanking, that kind of stuff. Okay. So, no hard and fast. Fair enough. Um, I'm like James. I don't have any specific one. Uh, we'll be here all day. If we start talking about all <laughs> the homebrew things that I make, like I, I do like races, monsters, spells, Classes, uh, mechanics. It's like, if this is not something that's presentable in the core books, I'm like, okay, how do I design this? I know, like, one mean you both kind of unintentionally, like, unintentionally, we both use is the uh, when it comes to range combat is elevation. Yes, the fact that an archer at least ten feet above should have advantage on the shot he's about to take. I, I have the that. high ground. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> as someone who's who is proliferant in archery, being above the thing you're shooting it makes you better at shooting it a little bit. Just a little bit. Bird's eye view gives you better shot. Yep. I have. So, besides the death homebrew issue, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, um, I like to give everybody a little check sheet, like a consent check sheet, which you two have mm -hmm. seen. And that gives me a better idea of my players. Yep. Yeah. And especially players I haven't played with, uh, like two members in our Tuesday night game. Yeah. So I do that to figure out where you guys are comfortable with, and then I'll go from there. You know, we'll keep this, we'll keep that. And uh, the one biggest thing I like to do, and you guys did it last Tuesday, was when we do our long rest, I give you two, three minutes to get your characters to know each other. Yeah. Which I like. I like the the fireside chats in-game. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm actually going to steal that. I do like that idea. 
We we do that. We talk about fireside chat a lot in you know Discord and yeah. outside the game to communicate throughout the week. But I love it for character development. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing is occasionally you wind up in a situation where you have uh, a fair amount of spotlight on two characters who yeah. are doing watch together. And the other characters don't get that that session. But like this is a long form campaign, yeah. you know, yeah. that your time's coming up. One of my favorite things um, that you do, Nicole, um, like skinning and theming. Uh, I know a lot of DMs that just kind of have a hard stop on that. Um, but I know the game that we're in now, I'm playing a warlock and I have a pseudo dragon. And uh, like for my aesthetic of my character, I wanted that to be like a, a raven. Right. Yeah. I, I like and, doing the aesthetic things because it makes more sense instead of having this goofy little pseudo dragon following you around. Also, it's a magically summoned creature. You can, you're, you're a spellcaster. You can make it look like you want to. Look, <laughs> I cannot tell you how many DMs I've seen, and they're just like, no, that is, this spell is this spell, and it describes that it looks like this in the rule book, and that's how it looks. It's like, okay, well, you know, I just wanted to use ravens for my shatter spell, and they come <laughs> flying in screeching. Yeah. Right? And, like, that's Brody, Brody let me do that um, with shatter in his campaign. Uh, and I, I think that adds a whole lot and it, I'm not sure if it falls under the homebrew category, but like theming and skinning things, I think that's a definite way to make your players happy that cost yeah. you nothing in the game. I'm a big advocate fan of letting spellcasters in my, my, my games, letting them, uh, theme their spells. Cause I'll ask frequently something like, how does, how does that look? Like when I go to cast this, how does that look? So like Casey, when he does magic missile, um, as Aaron, I think he he just changes the color of his. Yeah. But you know, I've made a suggestion to him. It's like you know, it's kind of it's Viking setting. I was like, what if your magic missiles look like bearded axes when they come flying out? <laughs> That's that pretty darts? cool. I remember like for Artie, my uh, my spiritual weapon was a giant pillow. Yeah. That yeah. I mean, it's that's. <laughs> It's just the whole whole aesthetic for art. I think spiritual weapon is the biggest one that gets uh, reskinned, reskinned a lot. all the time. Yeah. yeah, mine was a shovel because I was a grave cleric, so it, <laughs> That's it seemed <perfect>. fitting. <laughs> yeah, there's there a whole reason why Artie because he had like the stuffed animal. Yeah, there's a whole big thing for Artie. But the the homebrew one that I was wanting to talk about, actually, you mentioned it, uh, Nicole, was the resurrection revivifying thing because Five E makes resurrecting players pretty simplistic. Uh, it, it takes the the finality out of death. It takes away the uh, the 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 danger of dying as a player. And I'll be honest, I kind of took the base what Mercer did. I liked his idea that your first time is, it works fine for like revivify that kind of stuff. But then after that, you have a DC. It's plus two for each time you've died. Your allies can add to the ritual to reduce the D. Like. Right now, Montel's got a DC of 18 to be resurrected base. How many times has he died? Four. Four. <laughs> mm. Stop kissing stuff, Montel. <laughs> uh, but then, yeah, your, your players come in. They can add, uh, they can add to the, uh, the ritual, or if they roll badly, they can take away from the ritual and increase the DC. Uh, but I, I like adding that little bit of finality that to resurrection besides just uh, you know, okay, cool. I'm going to cast Revivify on this guy. He, he's back to life now. I did like you did. I, I took what Mercer had presented and was like, I'm going to put my own spin yeah. on it. I have a Valkyrie persuasion ritual. Oh, that's so if cool. you die and the Valkyrie comes to claim you, you have a potential chance to persuade them to allow that soul to remain behind. I mean, if you don't pass, they're like, sorry, they're, they're going yeah. to Valhalla. See, uh, mine always comes down to like, uh, I, as as the ritual completes, I will look to the player and go, "Well, um, that's the ritual. 
do you come back? And they always have the final say of yes or no. Because I'm a big fan of player agency. Yeah. And I don't like the fact that, you know, my guy just died saving his home. This is the end of my story. Uh, it'd be like, you know, if, if Butcher dies of old age in bed with his wife, a nice, a good, you know, ending to his, and all of a sudden somebody goes, nope, we want him back. He's back. That kind of thing. Yeah. It ruins that agency. So in yeah. the end, it's always, I look at the player and go, do you want to come back? Does this work? It ruins the agency and it ruins the potential story. It could come yes. with it. Very done. I'm all, I'm all about a good story. That's my yeah. main concern. You were talking about some, uh, a little earlier, you were talking about some crazy uh, homebrew things. Uh, back in the day, uh, we played a homebrew game that I made that was uh, kind of in the vein of like Avatar and um, like people you could use the elements and stuff like that. We, this is one that we were just like, let's get to see how crazy we can get with this. And, uh, um, we got to the point where we were throwing fireballs left and right. People were like using earth pillars and summoning tidal waves. This, that was the point of the game was to, to see how crazy we could get by the time that, that campaign was over damage was no longer how many dice we could add it was multipliers oh wow how many multipliers could we add we're like doing like like times 100 type <laughs> stuff it was so wild we had people like literally summoning meteors from out of space See, a system that i'm reading and learning right now is the avatar the last airbender system because we we've, we've all seen the avatar the the tv show they did some weird and wacky things there is no war in Boston, say. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but the, the power levels, like in especially like Avatar uh, Legend of Korra, uh, they were essentially powering a giant mech with their will. Yeah. And spirit vines. Spirit vines. There was so much. And you're sitting there going, okay, I want to do this. Well, I, I know it, you, that they did that in the show, but the, the system here, you, you can't do that or you can't do that yet. You have to wait for it. Oh, no, no, no. Like, Aang could, you know, Somebody literally like bent the air out of someone's lungs, and and I want to do that. well. You you have to wait. There there are checks and things, and just ha- there there needs to be that that balancing. That first of all, you the player have to be willing to balance. Uh, when it comes to home brewing, you have to you know this is yeah it, it's it's really cool and uh, the flavor is great, but it's a your your uh <laughs> your artillerist uh laser toting uh homebrewed class for dwarf doesn't fit in this circa 1500 uh low fantasy low tech style of role play that we're the the story we're in uh so unfortunately it i i we have to go with something else i i'm a big proprietor of uh is i hate to be the dm that goes no because i want to be the one that's like no but yeah. or yes and um but I, if it's setting appropriate, uh, I'm fine. But if you bring me something that's like, I, I'm this thing, I can do this, and I have this idea, I'm like, uh, that's not going to work here. Like, I hate to do that. It's, but on occasion, I have been known to bend the knee towards that. It's just like, I know a lot of people, they will have a, uh, a certain, um, like, character or a certain somebody that they've based their their in-game character on 
to kind of like give a flavor to, that's fine. However, if you bring me a cold cut of Geralt of Rivia, I will toss a coin through your head. How so, did I know you were going to say that? <laughs> because to this day, that is, I'm the Witcher. That still is just. I'm it's fine it. with that. We're playing a cyberpunk <laughs> game. If you want to play the Witcher, play the Witcher. I Something that I do, um, I use one shots to yeah. get things out of my player's systems occasionally. Uh, most of the games that I run start at very low levels. Yeah. Right, and everybody wants to come in with this backstory that they were a king or the <laughs> most badass badasser in the badass realm. Yep. Um, and that's just that's not that's not early game yeah. stuff, right? So occasionally, and I've often often done this before starting a campaign, I will run a high level one shot to let people get things out of their system. Yeah, they get all the anime out that you want to, <laughs> animu all over the table. <laughs> Uh, and then we're going to start this game that's going to run for a year, and you're going to be a low-level character. And it, it seems like it works pretty well. Well, look, there, there are some times where I want to be the level 20 Warlock Vengeance Paladin that, you know, uh, is just built to sm smite things left and right and leave nothing standing. Uh, th those I do enjoy those games. from goes, hey, I'm running a one-shot module. Break the character. Let's have fun. Yeah. Because uh, you guys, you know, your, your, big, your first encounter is going to be, you know, 30 ancient red dragons you're gonna need it that kind of stuff yeah i mean basic every anime ends with uh we must fight god <laughs> pretty much or the, begins that way that's yeah look i was sitting out in the uh main gaming area the other day and we have a private D, &D room kind of to the back of that and uh we had some characters uh some players that they hit a break in their campaign and they came out and they're like man this is we're fighting our third tarask and i was like <laughs> What level are you guys? Oh, They're like, Lord. we're level seven. I was like, you're what? what? It's like, yeah. So we've got a pet Tarask, and then there's a mecha Tarask, and a shadow Tarask. And I was like, what? I mean, you guys pay for the room. Do what you want to in there. But what? Uh, with level seven, third Tarask? Like, yeah, one of them's our pet, though. And I was like, okay. I'm going to go back to my commander game, guys. Oh, okay. So, so <laughs> but hey, now I have a fun. new goal with my druid is to make a Tarask my pet now. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff is going to. Okay. <laughs> I am queen of the Tarasks. <laughs> I am the lizard queen. Honestly, she probably would, though. <laughs> they seem like they were having fun, though. Yeah. And I mean, again, you know, if they're having fun, that's their game. Uh, that, that's what it always, like, homebrew and stuff comes down to is, are my players enjoying it? And yes, while they were breaking my game left and right, they were still having fun. And so in the end, I was like, you know what? This is their game, too. It's just not mine. So let's... And I, I told a story that was meant to be broken. It had weird, it basically was, you know, Outer Limits, Twilight Zone, and, you know, uh, the Apple Dumpling Gang all rolled into one. I commend uh, our Thursday night GM, Seth, because uh, he has this well-thought-out um, game and this world and the environment, and we're out here turning chickens into gods. <laughs> uh, and he's That's just, he's rolling with it. the best I've ever spent. <laughs> Wait, wait, I'm sorry. You turned a ch I thought that was like, you know, a hyperbole anecdote. You uh, turned a chicken into a god? Well, well, I'm a playing an eloquence bard. <laughs> oh. And we have a warlock um, who oh, also has a high charisma. Okay. And um, like the chicken's not actually a god, but we have certainly started a religion. Who knows what'll happen? The best the, five gold investment ever. Reminds me, reminds yeah, me of the you bought the chicken. In that I bought one the chicken. Where <laughs> For my players, they had to to combat this cult that had set themselves up underneath uh, Razmir and Pathfinder. They started their own uh, religion around the god Varias. 
Uh, and there we go. Varius, praise his many forms. Okay, let me write this. How do you spell it? V-A-R-I-O. It's very The God's name is Varius. Praise his many forms. I love it. Stealing it. <laughs> That's It's great. I love that. Uh. I think the chicken got its name, though. Bach, because Glacius, the one party member who did not want this damn chicken. Yeah, I remember he like they were trying to name the chicken, and I think he suggested from, Bach. It went from Chuck to Cluck to Bach. Yeah, and I was like, okay, Bach? so we'll go with B-A-C-H. Bach, but it has to be B A C H because B O K is condescending, <laughs> right? So now with the chicken that we have turned into a deity is Bach B A C H. So it's it's backstory is that it was a paladin. Um, who that was fighting dragons? Who fought this conclave of evil dragons? And there's like not really any dragons, really, where we're at. And uh, we were talking to this guy, trying to get him to believe in Bach. And it's like, when's the last time you saw a dragon? He's like, well, I've never seen a dragon. It's like, you're welcome. <laughs> and he's like, well, we've heard that there's a blue one that just showed up uh, a few miles north. And I was like, yeah, and Bach's back now. <laughs> so like, we just gaslit the hell out of this poor guy. He wound up selling his business. We gave him some gold, and he's out there spreading the word. All I can think of mm-hmm. is Bach, Clucker of Doom. <laughs> Dragon Clucker. <laughs> Wait a minute. Never mind. No, that's a... That's a different thing. That's a different thing. That's, that's, a, that's, that's the after... That's the, uh, that's the after dark. Um, uh. <laughs> I think you guys know the warlock, Jane, ended up getting a book, so now you guys are making a Bible of Bach. Yeah, I believe uh, Ashley has ordered a book yeah, in real life. She and I, yeah, in real life. Oh, God. She and I are just going to pass back and forth and like <laughs> write this out. So this this has gotten out of hand. Um, it's our fault. It's I feel bad. It, it, technically, it's your fault, Nicole. You yeah. bought the chicken. Well, so. it's because I was testing the wagon out. Yeah. We have an interdimensional wagon that is like the Harry Potter tent. So you have a we special have a wagon. Yeah, you have a special knock. It turns it back to a regular wagon. So we wanted to see if the thing lived, and so I bought a chicken. Does it have a parking brake that's constantly stuck? No. No, <laughs> no that's Twig. <laughs> the horses in this campaign uh, are probably two of my favorite NPCs ever. Uh, there's this one very soprano-like horse named Barry, uh, and he is, like, matter of fact, kind of a little bit of an asshole, but, like, everybody still loves him. And then there's this flower child companion horse named Twig, Who's just like free love, you know, kind of out there in think, dreamland. Think of Pinky from Pinky and the Brain. Yeah, oh yeah. These are so, horses. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, and they talk? No, they don't talk. But <laughs> lot, several members of our party have telepathy or can speak with animals. So, like, we have gotten to see a lot of these horses' personalities. It's basically Tony Soprani- Soprano and Pinky from Pinky and the Brain. Oh God. Oh, and Bach is uh, Antonio Banderas. Yes, that is that is. That is Bach's uh, basis for his character. I just, I can just. So I had Bach the chicken. um, I have used Minor Illusion to train him to assassin. Uh, We play this game when we have downtime and I have this like grid of like tic-tac-toe set up and a square will light up and he has to strike the square. So I've used Minor Illusion to train him to strike. Once I got into where he could strike the appropriate square, I used Minor Illusion to create a person. And I would light up the points where if you get hit with a, a talon or something, you'll bleed out. So I have, over the course of probably six months, uh, every session, spent a little bit of time, trained this chicken to kill. 
what the hell is with you and the chickens, James? <laughs> it is not my fault. Every time I'm in a game, I get presented with a chicken, and I work with what I have. If you give me a chicken, I'm going to make it a killer. You're, you're, you're not welcome. training it. You are causing it to remember its primordial evolutionary line Perfect. instincts. I'm using that. You've tapped it into the T-Rex. That's what's happened. Look, I, I, I just spent most of the gold I had in this game not to teach, not to get the ability to speak with animals, but to teach this this animal with a spell to speak for itself. So I didn't want to be able to communicate with the chicken. I could already do that. I wanted the chicken to be able to communicate with other people. He has a very interesting personality, right? So like I spent 200 of my in-game gold, in gold uh, to get this spell done with no guarantee. It was something that the shop owner had to craft themselves. Um, but now, pretty much, the chicken can talk. Well, I, the thing is, that you, like you, you put like because one of the things in my games is I, I, I always kind of overgive when it comes to gold because I want my players to care about the important things. So if they're not worried about like you know health potions that kind of stuff, they can focus on the important points of the story. So I give gold relatively freely, but even still, it, it it's something that you have to put into it, and you put your own gold and time into it. And then your dungeon master went, you know what? He's worked for this. Yeah, let's homebrew something to see if this works. And there's always that bit of give and take when it comes to homebrewing. I think really kind of is where if the player goes, hey, I want to do this. I know it may not work exactly like this, but can we get there? And the dungeon master, like especially me, I'll go, you know what? Yeah, let's work something out. Like, we'll, we'll see what we can get. And that's really where homebrew and balancing comes into effect. It's where both parties as the dungeon master and the player can go, that's cool. Let's use this. So I think a very appropriate metaphor uh, for the act of homebrewing in a game, especially for a GM, uh, is boating. Boating's a lot of fun. You can go out on a boat and have all kinds of fun. And when you get off the boat into the water, it can be a little scary. Yeah. And that, that's homebrewing, right? And you're worried that you don't have the safety of the boat anymore. But the beautiful thing about that is, is once you get far enough from the boat, you eventually learn to swim, right? Yeah. And that's just kind of an amazing, fun thing to be able to do. Yep. And that's that's homebrewing. You're going to have to get out of the boat if you want to do it. It's going to be a little nervous-making, but it's rewarding, and you'll enjoy it. Another, another way to that is eventually you can start, like, you know, have people skiing and inner tubing behind you, so you're bringing people along. Yep. Just watch out for ninja chickens, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, with that, we're going to bring this episode to a close on homebrewing. I think we're all fans of it. We, I, I mean, I can speak for myself. I would rather homebrew something than just play by the book any yeah. day of the week. Uh, so things more. It does, and that's interesting. Makes for a mo interest. Makes for innovation. Whatever the eyes were, I forget. And even the we've forgotten There's all the eyes. There's four of now. them. Go back and listen to it if you want to know what they are. <laughs> so with that, I, as always, uh, want to thank you guys so very, very much for listening in, uh, for joining with us. Please, uh, wherever you're listening to us, be it Spotify, Apple, iTunes. Uh, follow us, uh, go check us out on YouTube, on TikTok, on Twitter, on Twitch, uh, everywhere that, you know, everywhere on the social medias, you will find us, uh, today at 1 PM central standard time Sunday, we have Stagande scars of Midgard on Twitch. And then starting at, uh, 6 PM, almost at the wrong time, 6 PM central standard time is, uh, the legends of fate, Terror, the adventures of the natural ones. Folks, we have got so much stuff coming. And now with, with, uh, night rain joining us. This is just going to skyrocket, and we cannot wait to show you guys what we have. Uh, so, 
with that, as always, I am Kenneth Moffat, a.k.a. the Southern GM. James at the Hive. Brody, Elder Finn. And Nicole Night Rain. And with that, as I always say, folks, be good to each other. We only get one shot. Later. Later.